The reading comes from the book of Genesis. We're reading the background story to the patriarchs. We're looking in Hebrews chapter 11 to the roll call of faith, and we're going through the various patriarchs that are given as examples of faith, true, authentic faith in the one true God. We've looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Joseph. Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhal and Zilphah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And then Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Then the writer in one verse in Hebrews 11 says, by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We've covered the whole book of Genesis in the past five or six weeks. 
We looked at Cain and Abel, and we've looked at Enoch, and we've come through Noah and the patriarchs. We've now come to the very last words of the book of Genesis. The very last word is Egypt. That's not very good news. God had promised Abraham all of the Canaan land, the promised land. A good portion of what we know is the fertile crescent. He had started out in the Ur of the Chaldees, way down not far from the Gulf, modern country of Kuwait. He'd gone all the way up the Euphrates River and all the way down across the Fertile Crescent and down through Canaan and all the way down into Egypt and then back again. And Abraham lived in Canaan land his whole life, but he never owned a square foot except for what he purchased as a burial place. His son Isaac lived his whole life in Canaan's land and never owned any other property. Jacob lived his whole life in Canaan's land up to the very end of his life when there was a famine in the land and he was forced for economic conditions out of his control to go down into Egypt. And that's where he stayed with his family, about 70 in number, his 12 sons. Now we've come to the very last of the book of Genesis, and the emphasis is upon one son, really, Joseph, who was the son of Rachel, the beloved wife, and Joseph's was the favorite son of Jacob. Jacob's name, of course, had been changed to Israel because of the blessing that God had given him. So now there they are in Egypt. Through all the circumstances of God's providential control, Joseph had been made the prime minister of Egypt. And through his prudential leadership, the country of Egypt had prospered when the rest of the world was in famine. And God had lovingly and providentially brought his people down to where they'd be taken care of. And Joseph said, you're safe here. You're going to be provided for here. This is a good place to live. You're going to be in the land of Goshen, which was a rich pasture land because the Hebrews were shepherds and the Egyptians despised shepherds. And so they didn't have anything to do with them. They isolated into their good land where they'd have a good pasture and they would be able to take care of their flocks. There was one other thing they had done too. You notice Jacob's sons and the different descendants of Abraham had begun to marry into Canaanite tribes and marry Canaanite women. And God put them in a place where that wasn't going to happen anymore because the Egyptians despised them and wouldn't give their daughters and sons to them in marriage. So God was going to keep them together as a people and keep them ethnically pure and holy before him. Let's not forget this. The blessing that God pronounced upon Abraham was an incredible spiritual blessing and it all had to do with the seed, the seed that is Christ. 
God had brought forth a man to bring forth a family, to bring forth a tribe, to bring forth a confederation of tribes, to bring forth a great nation in order that he might through that great nation bring forth one man, Jesus Christ. And everything God promised Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Abraham was a Christian. He believed God when God spoke of the covenant because everything God said about the covenant was Christ. And Abraham believed God. He believed the message. He believed the, the gospel. He believed Christ. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us over and over and over that the faith of these patriarchs is the faith, the true faith in the true God who provides the true Savior for salvation. God had spoken of a great name. That name ultimately signifies a kingdom, the kingdom of God, and a name that is above every name, a name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God had promised an offspring, a lineage, a heritage. And we read all through the Bible, we follow that heritage, that lineage of so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And I know you get bored with that, but that is the heart of the Bible all the way through until we get to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And they name it out and spell it out of who descended from whom and how. God protected and providentially preserved those unbelievably sinful characters. Abraham was a sinner saved by grace. Isaac was a sinner saved by grace. Jacob was a horrible sinner saved by grace. And even Joseph, who was the most upright of them all, was really some kind of character that is not that admirable, especially in his youth. But every one of these people experienced in their life the grace of God. It began to change them. They all died in faith, believing the promise. And this is the offspring that's coming. But the Bible tells us that the whole point of the lineage was to bring forth one man, born of a woman, born under the law, made like unto his brethren, that he might be the new Adam and the redeemer of the species to redeem humanity that had been lost and fallen in the garden and had gotten worse ever since. The offspring, Paul writes to us in Galatians and tells us that he did not talk about seeds as of many, but of one seed, and that is Christ. And then he has that little verse down at the very end, verse 29 of Galatians 3. If you are Christ's, then you are the offspring of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Who's the offspring? Christ and those who are in Christ. That is believers. Those that come into Christ only the way you come by faith. So not only the great nation, the kingdom and the great name, but also the land. Now here's where it gets a little tricky. 
Some people come to the Bible with, with, a, with an already made up their mind about what the land means. They say the land means that little strip of real estate between Damascus and coming on down and on down toward Egypt. And, you know, it's not this wide in some places and it's got the Golan Heights up here and it's got the Gaza Strip down. That's not what the Bible tells us. Oh, it was that land. When God said he promised them the land, he didn't promise them that little piece of real estate that the modern Zionist, atheistic state of Israel possesses. He promised Abraham everything from the river Euphrates to the great river of Egypt. That was the promise. And that was literally, historically fulfilled in the days of King Solomon. Solomon's reign went from the Euphrates River all the way across the Fertile Crescent down to the Nile River. And not only did he have that much real estate, but he was the most powerful man on earth. And in those days, as in no other time, the glory of Israel was that there was Solomon, Shalom, the Prince of Peace reigned on the throne in Israel. And that was a literal historical fulfillment of that promise that God would give Abraham the land. But from the very beginning, the land was always more than that. It was more than real estate. It was more than the rivers. It was more than the pastures. It was more than the great orchards and all the stuff that God promised him in Canaan. It was Christ. Christ is that land that is that home, that dwelling place of God. It is that place where God gathers his people from the four winds and places them in his presence. It is fulfilled in Christ. It is in Christ that all of us meet with God. It is in Christ we dwell. And God promised that they would dwell in the land forever. And the promise is the eternal life, dwelling in the land forever. And then finally, the blessing. Not only did God speak of the great name, Christ, and speak of the great offspring, Christ, and speak of the great land, Christ, but he also spoke of the blessing, who is Jesus Christ as well. He is that blessing through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. Just a few weeks after Christ died and rose again, he gave his disciples a commission. We call it the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, he told them that they should go into all the world. And as they went, they were to make disciples. They were to teach. They were to baptize. They were to bring into subjection all peoples to the law in which he had commanded. He made this commission applicable not to just Israel, not to just Jerusalem and Judea. Not to just what was left of the old northern kingdom of Ephraim, Samaria. No, more than that. That much for sure. <laughs> Let's always remember that the church was a Jewish outfit in its first generation. It fulfilled promises literally to literal Jews. Jesus was a Jew, the apostles were a Jew, the apostle Paul was a Jew, and it was in Jerusalem, in Zion, that all these promises were fulfilled. But it went to the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel, it was for the nations, the ethnic groups, all the nations. What nations? All those nations that had descended from Esau, all those nations that had descended from Ishmael, all those nations that had descended from Oham and Japheth, 
and all the other nations that had come from Sham. Remember the Lord said that God belonged in the covenant God made with Noah. Remember God said, blessed be the God of Sham. Sham is the, the son of Noah that took the claim on the true God. But then God went on to say, I will enlarge Japheth. The descendants of Japheth are two-thirds of the world's population today. All the Caucasians, all the Asians, and others as well come from the lineage of Japheth. God says, I will enlarge Japheth, and he will dwell in the tabernacles of Shem. Who's the tabernacle of Shem? It's Jesus who became flesh and tabernacled among us. Being Emmanuel, God with us. And the promise that God made to every one of those patriarchs over and over and over was, I will be with you. We read it in the life of Joseph over and over. I will be with you. I will be Emmanuel to you. And finally it was all fulfilled in Christ. And Christ brought the blessing. And the blessing is the blessing of salvation. It is the song of redemption. It's the story of Christ and the gospel. How he took all of the iniquity of Cain, all the iniquity of the lineage of Cain, the iniquity of the descendants of Noah, the offspring of Ishmael, Esau, Keturah, all those people that gave us the populations of the world and in one person there is salvation. It's in Jesus Christ. Now let me just, as I close, talk about one little principle. I say little, <laughs> a magnificent principle that God has used in bringing about this salvation historically over the centuries, over the millennia. And it's found there in that passage that we read at the very end where Joseph caught on when his brothers came to him and were in fear that he would retaliate against the way they had treated him earlier in his life, which they had put him in a pit, they'd started to kill him, they had sold him into slavery, and all of the things that they had done to him, they had lied about him. Just like old Jacob, you know, it's interesting to me, old Jacob uh, deceived his dad, Isaac. You remember how? He took some skin off of a goat, and he took some garments, Esau's garments, and he put it on himself, and he creeped up on old blind Isaac and got the blessing. You remember that story from last week? Now Jacob, in his old age, is fooled the same way. <laughs> Those boys kill a goat, put the blood on a garment, a coat of many colors, and they bring it to old Jacob and they deceive him. It's unbelievable when you see the back and forth and all the stuff that went on. The great sin. The, the last chapters of, of uh, Genesis deal with two people, not just one. It's not about Joseph. It's about another one called Judah. You read in there, there's stories about Judah, and they are pitiful stories. They are stories of incest, ungodliness, immorality, intermarriage with the Canaanite women. Judah was extremely, extremely involved in grave sin against the Lord. But the story of Judah and the story of Joseph go hand in hand, side by side. Because Joseph had been given the double portion of the blessing, you remember from last week, and Joseph also had 
been given Ephraim and Manasseh as his adopted sons and Ephraim became the largest and most powerful tribe and occupied most of the real estate along with Manasseh and Ephraim was the northern kingdom after the split. Ephraim. Judah was the southern kingdom under King David and then it split under Solomon's sons Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Remember the story? These two dominant tribes in Israel Judah and Ephraim, or Joseph and Judah. And yet the Lord promised in the blessing that Judah would have the scepter. He would have the royal lineage. And all through this passage here, you see Judah trying time and again to assume the leadership, which he does eventually. Because by the time you get to the book of Judges, the very first chapter of the book of Judges talks about all the tribes being in trouble with all the Canaanite people long after they were in the land, they were having trouble and they needed some help. And you remember what God told them? Judah shall go up. And Othniel, the first judge, was a descendant of Judah. And from that point on, Judah assumed the power of the people, the leadership. It took a while. And we get all the way to the end of the book of Judges. We find that the most powerful deliverer in Israel that destroyed the Philistines, the major enemy, and enabled King Saul and King David to continue that conquest and to establish the land of Israel, uh, to establish the kingdom in Israel, was Samson, who was from the tribe of Ephraim. And we see that developing. But then when we get to the very end of the epoch of the period of the judges, we've got Ruth. And we've got Ruth... And the story of Ruth is the story of a descendant of Judah. And the picture, the last frame of the story of Ruth is a woman sitting, holding a little baby on her lap in Bethlehem. And that was the picture of things to come because it was this little baby who became the progenitor of David, and David then, of course, Christ. God is working all of this out, all of through His sovereign mercy and His grace and His, His love, all the sinfulness, all of the waywardness, everything. God is doing two things. He's going to keep His covenant no matter what. I'm here to tell you that we're saved because God keeps His side of the bargain, not because we do. And that's the way it is. And so this is the way Joseph described this to his brothers. He said, do not fear. By the way, it says here, they came and fell down before him. <laughs> Remember that dream Joseph had about the stalks of the sheaves in the, in the, would bow down? And then at one time he got really, really, really egotistical and he had a dream about the sun, the moon, and the stars bowed down before him. His brothers hated that. How many times have we seen hatred between brothers in the Bible? Cain and Abel? Jacob and Esau, Joseph and all his brothers. The bitterness, the hatefulness, that doesn't stop God from getting done what he wants to get done. Listen to the way Joseph said it. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Oh, can you read your Old Testament like I read it? that many people shall be kept alive. Life, resurrection life, new life, eternal life comes from the providential provision of God. He's the one that keeps alive. He's the one that sustains. 
He brought Christ from the grave. He brought us from death to life. And so Joseph prophesies about something that's going to happen. He says, one of these days, he said, you're going to come out of this land. One of these days, there's going to be a fulfillment that says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. One of these days, there's going to be an exodus. One of these days, we're not going to stay here in Egypt. This coffin is not going to stay in Egypt. And it stayed there for generations. But the eye of faith sees way beyond the circumstances. It sees beyond the bondage. It sees beyond the sin. It sees beyond the failure. It sees beyond the loss. It sees beyond everything. And trust the sheer and mere word of God and believes and hopes in that. That's the quality of faith. And so they embalmed him because they knew they were going to take him out in whole. And that's happened, by the way, if you read the story of the Exodus, they took all the stuff they took when they crossed the Red Sea, when Pharaoh was chasing them, and you read the next story. We'll get into that next week. We're going to talk about Moses and the Exodus. There's the old bones, the old coffin that Joseph was in was carried with them. And they took it back and buried it in the place where Abraham had brought that, that uh, cemetery and where Abraham was buried, Isaac was buried, Rachel, Sarah. No, I'm sorry, not Rachel, Rebecca. Rachel wasn't buried there, by the way. She was buried in Bethlehem. She wanted to get close to her baby boy that was going to come down the road too, Jesus Christ. She was buried in Bethlehem. But that's where Jacob had been returned to. Leah was buried there with him. And Joseph wanted to be buried in that place. Joseph was saying, put me in the spot where God blesses. And this is the final chapter. That same good providence of God works its way like this. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel... All you descendants of Jacob, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's what got us to the cross. That's what brought Christ into the world. That's what put Christ into his life. That's what put Christ on the cross was the definite plan. I like the old King James, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God knew what he was doing all along. He was moving through all of history and all of these people to bring a man to hang him on a cross. And listen how he did it. You crucified and killed People, the men of Israel, Jacob's sons and descendants were the people that crucified Christ. Oh, they'd started out trying to kill Joseph, throwing him in the pit. They finally got around to killing somebody. And it was the very descendant, the very seed that the blessing was in. In fact, they're not off the hook because they said, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
men outside the covenant, men who were not interested in the plans and the, and the program of God, men that were not interested in salvation. But listen to this. But God raised him up. It is God that brings life. It is God that brings blessing. It is God that fulfills the covenant. It is God that redeems the race. It is God that saves our souls. And the eye of faith sees it. And the whole difference between life and death is do you or do you not believe it? 